Chris, first of all, can you believe that Thanksgiving is next week, effectively a week from tomorrow? Um, second thing is, do you have any Thanksgiving traditions? Um, you or your family Ooh. have anything that's like, uh, you know, something you look forward to every year that kind of is like makes Thanksgiving for you? Well, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday uh, because it's, it's mine the- too. Is it's it really? Too. I mean, I, I also love Halloween. So they're very close for me, but I do love Thanksgiving. You're just like thriving right now then because, you know, October, November. Yeah. Oh, it's, the, it's, well, it's the best stretch of my birthday was last week. So, oh yeah, you have, you're living it up. Um, I mean, Thanksgiving is the one holiday that my entire family, I have a bunch of sisters who now have families. I have family. And that's the one holiday that we all come home to. I'm from Northern California originally, and that's where we all go back to. Uh, and truthfully, it's just everyone knowing that that is where we will be. All our spouses or partners know that that is where Thanksgiving will be. And it's just like part of the pact of getting into our family. So I think it's just being around everyone for a dope meal and friendship and family and love and a bunch of Christmas stuff because we all get into that too, because it kind of kicks off Christmas for us. Uh, what, what's your tradition for Thanksgiving? Man. Um, so, well, first off, um, I, you know, I have not been back to see, to have a Thanksgiving with my family in Oregon in a very long time. Um, we did a Friendsgiving for years, which was absolutely fantastic. It was kind of like a misfit Thanksgiving for just whatever people we knew who were in the area who didn't have another place to go. Um, you know, would all come over. We would have a really lovely time. Um, but these days we've been doing it like my mother-in-law is flying in. So we're just doing it with a small group and going to a cabin in New Hampshire this year. I think I told you about that. Cause it was with the yeah. Airbnb. Thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scary. It, 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 no, it actually looks like an awesome Airbnb, but, sure. um, what I will say is I, I am a sucker for the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. I do love, oh, I love the, the parade. parade. Um, we do have a, a, a few different food traditions that all come from my wife's family, but, uh, they are fantastic. And also, I just like an excuse to eat a meal that, like, is so over the top mm-hmm. in terms of quantity that I, like, yeah. just want to, like, curl up in the fetal position afterwards, yes. which I've yes. done. Yeah. Which I've done. No, totally. So, mm-hmm. I, so, I'm always in charge of making the green bean casserole, which I love. And my aunt, Andrea, is always in charge of making the mashed potatoes, which are delicious. And as we got older, I love... So I'm from like wine country in Northern California, as you know. And so the wine is always like so good and super delicious and also starts at like 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> well, the parade's still on. You're, you guys yeah. are breaking out the wine. <laughs> You're just preparing for the, the dog show, you know? <laughs> yeah. Have some good rankings. <laughs> um, I'm excited. That's fantastic. Though. The other yeah. thing too, I'll say the last thing is I we always uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is still my classic favorite movie. So fantastic. We've talked about Steve Martin. I feel like before, uh, and he's. I love Steve Martin. He's incredible. Me too. Me too. I mean, well, we've talked about Only Murders, which is which we both oh, yeah. love. That's why. So, speaking of of creepy things, murders. And murders, shall we dive in? Let's do it.
Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris, you said, what's up, y'all? Hey, this is the end. This is the end, Requiem, 1981-87, episode number nine. And I will go ahead and say from the outset that Chris and I had a lot of discussion about this, whether or not we were going to separate out um, Requiem part one and Requiem part two into two separate episodes. And ultimately, after having watched them, especially because this season is that everyone who's watching live knows the episodes are stacked in a two hour run that goes from 10 to midnight on Thursday or sorry, Wednesdays. And we ultimately decided after watching these two episodes that they kind of go together. You kind of have to talk about them to a certain degree. Um, we're not going to talk about them at the same time. We're going to talk about them in sequence, but kind of we have, we're going to talk about them, you know, in the same stretch. And I think also, you know, just in terms of, um, I don't know, you know, talking about the episodes tomorrow. And I feel like in a lot of people's minds, they're going to, kind of these two episodes are to a certain extent going to congeal you know what i mean yeah um they were both in in terms of runtime i think they were both a little on the shorter side Sure. yeah so i think they were almost i think that to a certain extent they were meant to be viewed in tandem so that's how we are going to play them we will stop midway through in case anyone who has only watched you know requiem part one thus far and who and is not ready for part two wants to pause they can do so so we'll give you a warning at that point in time yep yeah it, um, yeah 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 it's, so yeah. go ahead no yeah just yeah <laughs> <laughs> so we are here um obviously you know this has been a full 10 episode season that has gone by very quickly just because of the stack nature of it uh, you know a 10 episode 10 episodes in a five-week sprint which has been interesting um you know over the course of the season we sincerely have as always appreciated your community and your comments and your thoughts through these questions that have been presented to us either via email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or uh, via Facebook um, through direct message or by commenting on our page at This American Horror Story. Um, sorry, it's uh, facebook.com slash This American Horror Story. And you can continue to do so once we are, you know, um, once the season has has ended. Uh, we do like to continue interacting in the off season as you rewatch old seasons or rewatch this season or, or whatever, you know. Um, but I want to bring up um amy as always provides a lot of good intel via facebook and a couple things that she pointed out that i think are worth mentioning the first one was a little um you know she had a comment on our commentary on last episode about gino's behavior being somewhat inconsistent and the point that she made is well you know he's a person who has ptsd who has trauma and as far as then kind of having somewhat erratic behavior those things could track with somebody who has PTSD or trauma. And I want to hear your take on this, Chris, but my take is I do. I I totally get that. And I understand it, but I feel like the problem we face is that so often on American horror story, we've seen in the past, these quick character shifts and inconsistencies. And so if and when it's being done intentionally, it's hard to tell. Yeah, no, Amy, great point. I definitely get that. I, I just don't think it was done thoughtfully if that were the case, um, especially because Gina was making like jokes about being scared, essentially, <laughs> where he's like, Ooh, I don't know, with the with the lead pipe. So definitely that's 100 percent valid. Um, it just wasn't done tactfully, but but that is 100 percent warranted. Yeah, 
so you know a fair perspective but you know yeah. my view is it's just you know it's hard to tell what's intentional and what's not intentional because we've seen the writing fumble before right mm-hmm. um also you know a couple other things that she pointed out um there was past theories that tick bites actually either i i don't remember the exact verbiage but either prevented or fought against hiv so if you were someone who got a tick bite it like actually potentially prevented like you got immune i don't know if i I, to be honest i i just glanced at the the clip sent over immediately before you know recording here so i don't know all the details but it sounds like there was some thought and i'm thinking back to gino having had tick bites and you know having survived Mm -hmm. for longer maybe somehow you know that made him last but at the same time you know obviously in reviewing and uh well i'm skipping ahead here i'm gonna i'm I'm about to talk about episode 10 so so I will hold up there. Okay. But there's some things from episode 10 that are to get in perspective on that. Speaking of episode 10, but well, well. <laughs> speaking of Hannah Wells, I will say, um, uh, Amy also pointed out that Hannah Wells seems like she could very well be based on a real scientist that she found uh, whose name was Linda Jane Laubenstein. She was an American physician and early HIV AIDS researcher who was among the first doctors in the U.S. to recognize the AIDS epidemic of the early 80s. And she co-authored the first article linking AIDS with Kaposi's sarcoma, which is something we heard about quite a bit in these two episodes. Uh, so it could have been part of what the shout out was to Hannah, you know, how the character Hannah Wells was representing, because we know there's been a lot of historical allusions, although characters mm-hmm. by different names in this season. Finally, Amy pointed out that uh, apparently deer or the word for deer in Portuguese is a pejorative for uh, gay people in Brazil which is interesting. Um, so obviously a lot of hmm. symbolism with deer here, but at the same time, obviously, you know, Love deers have, yeah, but at the same time, deers have kind of a um, historically, you know, through Greek mythology and different things have uh, almost kind of a mystical incarnation. It makes me think of, you know, Harry Potter's Patronus and a stuff bitch. like that. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, um, they they deers have symbolism on you know in kind of the religious realm too as kind of a sacred thing so i just think it's interesting because there's a lot of deer symbolism that we can talk and delve into later um and all that being said uh thank you again for everyone who wrote in and called in throughout or not called in but emailed in throughout the span of this season we really appreciate the community you all create through uh, those inputs, especially this season where there was a lot of like historical background and illusions and stuff like that, that was a little bit tricky to, you know, not, they weren't always apparent at first glance. It took some digging. So appreciate our appreciation to everybody who did, did the digging this year. I would, and wait, go ahead. Oh, before you, I would like to point out also that we do have this YouTube channel that you were maybe about to mention and people have asked, uh, including our dear friend Bryce, uh, do we, still use our regular communication with our fans through uh through our gmail or through our facebook yes we do but we also respond on our new youtube channel that we've been doing this season for the first time ever and all of y'all who subscribed and commented are amazing uh we really appreciate it and i'm trying to be on top of making sure that i respond to everyone tyler you you can do that too yeah, yeah. Thank you to everybody who's joined us on YouTube this season. That was kind of a new adventure for us. So it's, it's we were like, should we do it? And there. holy cow, <laughs> y'all great. are there too. Yeah, you know, you'd, you'd speculated. There's a lot of people that prefer podcasts on YouTube. So here we are. It's a little bit unpolished, but we appreciate y'all being here, and you get a clear look into uh, Chris's office and my <laughs> yeah. um, 
our home office. Yeah, our home offices. You know, late 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 at night. Yeah, while our children are asleep for now. I will be dipping over to this side because I need to plug this in over here. So when I dip off screen, that's what I'm doing. Okay. And finally, uh, as always, we want to say thank you to everybody who who took the time this year to this season to contribute to. Um, you know, our basically our server fees via uh, coffees at buymeacoffee.com slash THS, all caps THS. We sincerely appreciate it. Um, it's really keeps us going. Um, uh, when more people are downloading, those costs go up, and every so often that happens. And it's a you know, it's a privilege when it happens. We really appreciate having listeners, and we really appreciate when, um, you know, those of you who have means are able to donate a little thing here or there. So if you're interested, you're certainly welcome to continue to do so. And thank you to all who did. And thank you to all who just also came and listened. We appreciate that as well. So Chris, having said all of that, before we dive into uh, episode nine, Requiem 1981-87, part one, I have to ask, what are you drinking this evening? I got two drinks. I am double fisting. Well, I'm about to finish this one, but I do have the last of my Cabernet Sauvignon that I had with dinner that carried over into the into uh, the episodes and then i had to do it i have my mug full of cider with a bit of bourbon in it as well what are you drinking cheers to that i actually finished polished off my cider earlier this weekend so i'm not drinking cider tonight believe it or not i did finish a, a glass of red wine earlier from a box because i'm classy like that and i'm currently drinking a guinness which is still one of my just go-to soothing beers so Cheers. Like it. Cheers to AHS New York. Another season down. Season 11. Yep. Pouring here we out. go. Yeah. Pouring out. Cold open. Okay. Here we Cold go. Cold open. Here we go, Chris. Drive right in. So we're at Theo's funeral. Uh, and Adam wants to know how no one has known what really happened to him. Patrick's there and he says he's essentially like a leper in the police department or with the police department. So he has no idea. And we see Sam there and he collapses, uh, also sees Big Daddy sort of in the distance. Um, and then he ends up in the hospital. He tries to pull out his IV, but Billy, one of the guys early on, is from there. The ca- from, the ca- from the cage, yep. The one from the, the cage, cage right? Uh, who's uh, the nurse essentially attending to Sam says don't do that and sam says he doesn't he didn't know he's a nurse but then theo walks in and theo's the doctor so we definitely know at this point that this is kind of this kind of hallucination experience of what's going on with um sam's situation um sam or theo says that uh sam was admitted with pneumonia caused by an infection the by a fungus uh, and Sam says, I want a new hospital where I can like pay all the money and they can fix this. And Theo essentially says that this is the only hospital that will see him or will take him because people are afraid of him. Right. And then, and then we go to the credits. I mean, it picks up pretty quickly right after that, but that's the credits. That's our cold open. That's the cold open. I mean, I don't know what your reaction was when you saw Sam at Theo's funeral, but it was kind of a like... I felt a bit of guttural disgust because it was like, well, man, you did this to him, right? Like, yeah, you know, and we, we'll talk more about it as we get into Sam's reaction a little bit later on. But it was that was a little bit like, 
Come yeah. on, you're just an asshole. Also, I don't know if you caught on that when the priest is kind of giving his eulogy, one of the things he's talking about, Theo, is like how he was sinful and how, you know, hopefully that behavior is forgiven. And you have to imagine that, that was kind of a, a, a little bit commentary on what I imagine to be, I, it was a priest, right? I was going to say the Catholic Church's probably on homosexuality. Yeah. yeah. It, well, in gen, I mean, in general, like in the 90s, a lot of deaths because of AIDS were the way that the religious community attributed those deaths were to pneumonia, which yes, they did die pneumonia, but because, because of this immune disease, like, so. Well, in the Catholic church, it was actively, you know, advocating against prevention, like condoms and things that would help prevent the spread of AIDS. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then we wake up in the hospital, like you said, Um, this whole episode to me, it felt somewhat like, a fever dream a little bit uh 100 fever dream it had the whole like the 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 um filter of a carry lake commercial it was, very, it was very gauzy we had a little bit of vaseline glaze on, <laughs> on the camera uh that was uh our lady jay's doing i believe who i think was director and writer for this episode right correct Correct. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I also think there was meant to be a little bit of poignance at the end when, as you said, Theo tells Sam the hospitals are afraid of him. And part of the theme here is obviously that, yeah. you know, the medical community is treating, you know, almost kind of like Patrick said about being treated like a leper in the police department is literally treating these people like lepers at the hospital where like you, you see later in Patrick in, in Patrick's hospital room, the nurse comes in in like a full hazmat suit and everything because they, you know didn't understand the virus properly and didn't didn't know in what ways it was contagious right um so that was obviously uh part of the message being sent here but i think the also the other thing too and we'll dive in we'll dive in a moment more into sam is the fact that like you know there's somewhat of an ironic twist here right that like sam kind of had he almost fostered that kind of personality where like there was a little bit of danger to him right and he even talks about like not knowing where the line was and people were scared of him to a certain extent i mean he was kind of a scary character i think i think theo was a little bit scared of him to a certain extent and probably adam mm-hmm. and ironically people are afraid of him in the end but for not the reasons he would you know he would prefer right and so i i think that's a little bit of an interesting juxtaposition they took but as we go into the body of the episode, sticking with Sam, you know, and Theo, Theo's still there, kind of in this doctor persona in some kind of weird purgatory afterlife situation, fever dream. And he's always quoting Sam into, into the hallway. And, and so said, our Christmas carol begins. Yes, I think you and I texted each other and we're like, immediately, we this feels like a... I, I guess it was a ghost of Christmas present situation. I wasn't, you, call, you know, <laughs> you texted me like Christmas Carol. And I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking as this happens for both our characters that we go through in this episode, especially with like the, the fuzzy camera felt like that too. Right. It was um, constant. And I did not like that. Sorry. I did. Just, I, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it wasn't, it felt like a whole dream episode. Eh. It could be used artistically on occasion, but it did feel like the whole episode. Uh, and immediately, Sam is kind of in his conversation with Theo. He's kind of like, "Well, I didn't kill you, did I? I didn't. That wasn't my intention." <laughs> like, you know, he was like, "If I crossed the line, I did. I, I really didn't mean to do it." Um, he's kind of like deflecting blame already. Yeah. Um, 
And and Theo kind of revisits that conversation. We remember them having on the couch back in Theo's photo studio where he said, you know, remember when I told you that that thing was coming? Uh, it's finally here. And I think obviously the insinuation being that thing was always HIV represented by, as we know, Big Daddy and somewhat of a strange sort of metaphorical sense that could sometimes taste, take a physical manifestation. Um, we don't, I think one thing that I will say is we never really had the rules defined in Brown Big Daddy. You know, sometimes Big Daddy was just a mirage. This is a big problem with the whole season. Yeah. And then sometimes Big Daddy was a physical force, right? Um, Which, you know, again, we'll revisit this. There was pieces, I feel like there's a way that this potentially could have been done well. But because of that, um, in the end, Big Daddy just kind of comes off as a peeping Tom a little bit, right? Just like always there watching. Um, Yeah. mm -hmm. But. Theo takes Sam through the hallways uh, into a, a hospital room that smells quite bad, apparently, uh, where we come, come across a patient who is revealed to be Danny, who I don't think we have met. But, you know, in conversation between Theo and Sam, we learned that he was um, like one of the I think Theo says he was like the first person we opened our relationship to. So I think the indication <laughs> being that they like had a three-way or something with Danny. Um, but, you know, they talked a little bit, it was a little bit weird how they talked about like, well, I thought that I didn't love the dialogue here where Theo was like, he was a playwright and you never saw his play and he thought you hated it. That just seemed kind of, yeah, I, it, it seemed a little bit and, beside the point this time. Like this poor guy is like on death's door and we're going to talk about how Sam forgot about going to see his play. Well, and Sam, uh, Sam's like, oh, it's coked up. And, and Theo was like, you never told him whatever. But he's like, you need to give him compassion. Give him a kiss. Give him a kiss. What? Yeah, like, seemed... what? This is like, hold his, hand, hold his hand or something. Give him a kiss seemed weird. Keep going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but Theo played a little bit of like the, isn't this what your clients love to see card? So we were reflecting back on kind of Sam's very seedy occupation in which, you know, he had Theo take pretty dirty and effed up pictures of people and sold them at a high dollar amount to quote unquote collectors. Uh, but they keep progressing and they go into an additional room, um, which is, uh, no, sorry, Billy, I am getting my people mixed up. Billy was not the guy from the cage. Billy was the one that they Stewart. killed on, on Fire Island. Um, so Billy, the nurse was the guy that killed on fire Island. Cause he had said the comment about like, well, you never got to knew me when I was wearing the leather mask. Stuart, who's this guy is the guy who that Sam put in the cage. I believe right. At least, I, I, you know, I think the scene where like Patrick goes and, you know, we see the cage in the basement. I think that's the one he was in. Um, and that's the one that Theo has him kiss him. I, I believe. Yes. Um, then finally, they walk into the room where it's it's Sam. This very much felt like a Christmas Carol thing where we're like looking at, you know, here's you decaying in bed. Um, Sam's kind of been left lonely, maybe in a coma or at least like very comatose and, and aged. Um, you know, I think there's dead flowers in his room. It's like, indi- you know, indicating that he hasn't had visitors in a very long time. And they watch him have some kind of like a seizure before calling out for help. And indicating that he's like dying. And Sam was, I think at one point he's like, well, people loved me. Why is no one here? 
And I think the, I was like, well, people loved just the idea of you when you had a lot of power and money and fame and all this stuff. And, and not so much anymore. Um, cut. And then there was like a weird hard cut here, but is there something you were going to say before we get to there? Well, um, when we were cutting to Sam waking up in the cage. Correct. Yeah. And we have a new ghost that's walking us through this. We have a new ghost, which appears to be Henry wearing some leathers. Although we never like the, really like the f- cop leather, like yeah. like YMCA, like village yeah, people. Was, exactly like village people leather. Um, although we never really get a follow up on because I don't think we know what happened to Henry. And you know, he ran off from Theo in the in the uh, on Fire Island, and I don't think we ever learn what happened to Henry since then. But we do revisit Henry here as a a new ghost basically um and you know henry starts to really dig into sam with comments like you know it's one thing to indulge in a fetish but it's another thing to enjoy enjoy torturing people and that was kind of the line that we had talked about this season that it was tough it seemed like a lot of the different you know there was i think some like clubs and different things where they were talking about like having you know somebody always on hand to like for people to go and sexually satisfy themselves. And it was kind of like, there was always this blurred line between what was just a fetish or a kink and what was like crossing the line into violence. Right. And that was kind of one of the themes of this season a little bit. Sort of Um, not done well, but yeah. (laughs) And then they end up watching a, I don't think it's, I don't, I couldn't tell if this was big daddy or not. Maybe, you know, they watched a guy in a hood beat uh, Sam's father with a whip. It could be. I, I I mean, it was it was a figure that resembled Big Daddy. I don't know if it was specifically him. But it could have been. Right. And, you know, they talk about Sam apparently having a past working on Wall Street at a form at a at a firm where he was treated poorly. Um, he says he was like the hardest worker there. Well, he said he was the hardest worker there. And then. Yeah, I, I presumably yes, but he does say that it's, you know, he would never let power be taken away from him again. So right. this is supposed to be the impetus of his fetish for torture, being a dominate, a dominant. Yeah. yeah, we do watch a guy get his nipples torn off, which is kind of gross. So well, yeah, we yeah, it's this whole sequence is kind of weird because we know ultimately that Sam is not going to redeem himself. He's like the whole point of Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens, as you know, is you walk through your life and then you can make some changes about what you're going to do moving forward. Right. And we see Sam see a bunch of people he hurt. And then we see the reason, a few reasons why he is who he is. We also get this Patrick a little bit later. And one of them is his boss, who he never heard about before or even knew about his work in Wall Street. So it just felt very like, okay, here we go. We're just talking about this is very American Horror Story sometimes where they try to like, like fill in backstory at the end when it doesn't work to like pay off any feelings about the character that we're supposed to care about or like in any way like hate or like yeah you know i don't it it seemed a little shoved in um it was gross to see the guy's nipples ripped off i've never seen 
nipples ripped off ripped off in in horror like that before i will say that i had a friend in high school who had nipple piercings and once jumping off a diving board into a pool oh my god don't tell ball. me <laughs> or just put my headphones on tighter uh, you know i was gonna say that it wasn't this gruesome when he had it done but maybe uh, uh you know that's um i think yeah yeah sorry <laughs> well i i, I mean I, this is also like kind of the i would imagine so the 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 journey and the tribulations that a queer person would go through especially in the 80s to work in the heteronormative world with the masculinity especially in the industry of wall street this would have been really great earlier on to just learn a little bit about that that that's his character so it pays off right now why we understand him more instead of saying like this is why he is the way he is you know uh and he it's uh henry is saying he inflicted pain because he is in pain that's why he that's why sam is the way he is uh and then he sees the next person getting whipped by big daddy and henry oh, says like his, his father yeah. yeah and henry says like or, yeah and henry says like oh is is oh it's different when it's someone you know and then it's his father, it turns out. And I just well, was confused why we're getting all this background on Sam. And we've never really known or cared. Yeah, it definitely seems to be insinuating some um, father-son issues uh, in in this episode. And we'll talk and, about that yeah, with Patrick sorry. pretty pretty soon here. No, But then you're right. Sure. Then the boss, the nipples, he said he works harder than anyone else. And the third person he sees. Big Daddy? No, him, oh this was himself oh well yeah i mean is it he sees himself or he just gets moved into that strange torture chamber type device um, i think he sees it okay he's watching himself it yeah he's watching him but it kind of fuses together eventually and then he yeah. falls out of that into yeah, the he's beach a, scene he's about to get murdered by or, or beaten or something by big daddy then he falls onto the beach back on fire island where big daddy is following him on the beach then catches him um and i think henry says something along the lines of like darkness always wins you just kind of have to give into it or something like that and then uh, yep. all of a sudden yep. there's the, the deer are back but theo's among the deer men this time and uh you know, i like sam, to call them the deer souls the deer souls i like that i like that and then <laughs> you know sam takes off the mask from big daddy but it's not big daddy anymore the physique changes and yeah you know it, it's um it's, it's a, a different tw- person yeah it's like a hot twink that was very much his like preferred type of dude when he was like living in his frivolous life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess this is supposed to be a kind of metaphor for Sam accepting what kind of an asshole he was, uh, but doesn't work. I don't know. If, I don't know if it landed for me. I was nope. like, I was a little. I think more than anything, I was confused about like, have we seen this guy before? Like, you know all he needed to do was like if 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 big daddy is a metaphor for hiv then you know why is it like why, does why it is it this beautiful him? blonde man yeah it was it's a little convoluted you know you, you have to jump in some like like uh exactly if know. he's if he's trying to embrace like his flaws and what he did wrong I, I don't I don't I I think I'm lost on like what 
this beautiful like adam-esque figure represents yeah i mean i think accept that, that i think the best we were, we could do if we were doing a little bit of mental gymnastics is that we could think of big daddy as being a manifestation of pain i guess of like the inner pain that a lot of you know mm. this community felt in different ways like being you know um forced to hide their true selves or right to absolutely you know, be um, abused basically for who they really were and those type of things. And so if I was going to stretch a little bit, I think that would be the, you know, it would be kind of like an acceptance of his pain kind of thing, which he had clearly, you know, shoved under a rug inside his mind and kind of replaced with his fetish for torture basically up until now. Yeah. Which, you know, um, but then he like kisses him and it just yeah, I, yeah. again I, I it's a little bit of a stretch i don't think it's it's not it's not a clean metaphor by any means and then henry takes the urn and pours out into the sea which is and says you, well done sam yeah which i guess is supposed to be sam in the urn was my guess yeah um, and so i get that like ultimately we're going through this whole thing about like hiv and aids is like completely non-discriminatory it just like screwed everyone over like literally it's it is horrible um but sam is actually a horrible person (laughs) like yeah he's actually a horrible person that did things and whether they're justified or not from his trauma from his past sure we can talk about that and figure out like talk about that journey but the way that he just gets to like go into peace and henry says well done sam like like it's forgiven and it's like no 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 you had no comeuppance at all like there was no retribution on the the victims that he dealt with or that he victimized so i don't know i i didn't like this it was it it wasn't earned it wasn't earned for sam i don't like sam didn't get any like redemption in real life you know, he didn't get his moment of going back into the world and buying a turkey for Bob Cratchit's family, right? It was like... exactly <laughs> like we can't use the Dickens like storyline uh, and then and then forgive Sam. No, no, like I don't if, think so. if that mother effer went like down and went to hell and you know figuratively, uh, then we could talk about how. HIV was discriminate non-discriminatory and it just happened to like good people and bad people and whatever. But like this seemed like it was giving him a really nice storyline ending, and it shouldn't have been. I don't know. Right. Uh and that's the end of Sam's storyline, really. Then yeah. we open up, we open a button on Gino and he's in a hospital too. And I don't know about you. For me, for a minute, I was like, is this the same like gauzy hospital that Sam was in? But it seems to be this one apparently a real hospital although still no one seems to be there um which i believe is indicating that you know the doctor staff the nursing staff is is all still afraid of hiv at this point we we learned it's 1987 so we jumped ahead again from our 1981 kind of starting place and patrick is in a hospital bed um the room seems very untended and uncared for um you know we see gino kind of go around the room and put the flowers in new water and do a variety of different things that kind of show that like no nurse has been there to help Patrick with much in some time. Uh, Which makes me also think briefly like that he doesn't come around as often as he should have. That's a good point too. Um, But you know, I feel like the way things ended between them 
the last episode, like they still had conflict. So it's like somehow they managed to kind of stay at least there for each other up until now, despite kind of the issues, you know, yeah, they've, they've had, um, the doctor finally comes in in that kind of hazmat gear and tries to make Gino leave because he's not a relative. You know, everyone will remember that this was before gay marriage was legalized. And so that was back at a time in which, uh, by law, you know, if you were in a friend, yeah, a gay relationship, uh, or, or, you know, there was marriage was not an option. You couldn't legally be married at that point and stay in like, you know, be at your partner's bedside when they were you know necessarily you know at that store you couldn't have like um you know natural i I, the legal language i'm gonna muff but you know the stuff around like passing things through wills and different things like that there was like you couldn't have the same kind of um benefits of the law that belong to people who you know were straight and in marriages right exactly yep Mm-hmm. unfortunate yeah and so i think that's the illusion there and uh, and then you know we learned patrick is blind because apparently the retinas have detached from <sighs> the back of his eyes um and you know there's there's a few sweet moments here gino very sweetly feeds pat uh some applesauce the special kind with the cinnamon that's better um <laughs> and, and patrick tells gino that he wants him to sell his insurance policy to pay for the funeral so that way the insurance money doesn't go to his parents presumably who he doesn't have a great relationship with right mm-hmm yeah um i i just briefly real quick i i I wish like this is a this was a beautiful moment of their relationship and we had so much of their relationship in in uh uh, intention and frustration that i wish we had had a few more moments of them just actually being a lovely lovely couple because they truly do seem like they could be a great couple and this shows that they were there was love there um but Six years in, later. Yeah. Yeah. In American Horror Story, often we just see just the tension and the frustration and the arguments, and that sucks. Right. It's okay to show like love for like a two minute segment. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it was, I, I appreciated this moment. I think this was one of the better. better I agree. Episodes, I agree. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I think fast forward to, I think it's supposed to be later that same night. We see Patrick like drop his, his morphine drip button, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has no help available to get it back, right? He's just in the room. There's someone else across the room who presumably also has HIV and is just totally, you know, comatose. Sunked. Mm-hmm. So uh, Patrick manages to somehow climb out of bed, but he kind of slips because he can't see anything. He's blind. And uh, pull himself into a wheelchair. He rolls into the hallway. And there's just these flashing lights everywhere. Um, and, and that's when we hear... All of a sudden, there's like a glow at the end of the hallway, and we hear Barbara's voice. She's back. Uh, she's in <sighs> a veil. He's she's in a veil, and she says something to him like, "Oh, you cried when you saw me in this on my on our wedding day, or something like that." I mean, his vision's back, right? He can see again. And they stand up and they walk into the light, and Patrick and Barbara kind of watch. You know, this is is very much Ghost of Christmas Past type stuff. They watch the moment when Gino met. Patrick or Patrick met Gino back in 1980 when Gino was just a, an enterprising reporter coming to investigate the the death of this young man in Angel Wings. Um, and, you know, we start to see their relationship build. And then we jump again to a scene in the police department where we see Patrick um, and a you know fellow police officer who had just gotten blood all over him. 
Um, Patrick's kind of like tending to him. It seems like the 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 guy who's showering is like somewhat vulnerable because maybe he just killed somebody and didn't want to or mean to. And Patrick's kind of like leaning in and saying, "Oh, you've got some blood behind you here." And then he ends up coming in, and they end up, you know, they they kiss, they kind of have a moment, but. The, that guy, the fat cop, I don't know. I don't remember what his name was. Who's his partner? I don't either. Um, spots him in there. And then a Patrick, of course, immediately blames the guy for kissing him and like runs out of the room or something like that. Right. So he's ashamed. Yeah. And we see kind of the origins of his shame. And then finally jumping to uh, a, a corpse and. Um, but it's Patrick working on a corpse with a chainsaw. And back in Whiteley's lair, and we see Whiteley has Patrick making a sentinel, but this time the sentinel has his his, his parts, his parts, and his head on it, and it's intended to kind of represent all the disparate parts uh, of Patrick's self, how he compartmentalized all the different pieces of himself throughout his life. Yeah, um, and then then we end with um, a moment uh, in, in our flashbacks. We end with a moment in the woods. Or Patrick's dad is is shooting a pistol with him at some cans. And then he gets really mad at Patrick when Patrick misses the cans and says something like, you know, you're are you ever gonna you're never gonna be a police officer like me and your granddad if you can't hit cans like this and gets pretty pissed off. He lit he says limperous, he calls him a limperous multiple times. Yep. And then he puts the gun right up to his ear and like shoots the cans so so much that patrick's poor ear bleeds yeah um, yeah the dad i i was gonna say to you like can you imagine i mean and this is so common these like it's in the certainly in the past it was very common but even today like can you imagine being this much of an asshole to your kid like it still happens yeah it's it's just it it's horrible it's just horrible yeah. um i think he says something to to patrick like do you think we had earmuffs in okinawa right so we know he's a world war ii veteran um yeah it, just a sad moment and again this is kind of i thought this scene was a more impactful way to give the backstory than kind of sam's way where we had these weird like scenes in the ether i thought mm-hmm. that this like one single scene this just like two minutes with with patrick's dad was more telling than anything um, it would have been great to have that moment this sequence with patrick and his dad a few episodes earlier so things just paid off better but yes this was this was good sam's stuff doesn't make sense at all right patrick at least we're getting some stuff that explains backstory but right way too way too late (laughs) right and then finally we flash to patrick who's with gino um and gino's there with him as he sleeps he wakes up with patrick uh patrick wakes up and gino's there kind of soothing him we have patty lupone in the in the room singing uh calling you and uh big daddy's there too but just kind of like just looking on kind of being that peeping tom person and you know i think it all you know there's kind of a a, a almost like a, a camera technique where things switch and all of a sudden the bed is empty and Gino's packing up his things and the implication yeah. is that patrick has died and that's the end of episode nine um, you know, it's really kind of it's our you know it's our requiem as they said, and it's kind of our requiem. This episode is really our requiem to Sam and to Patrick. Yep. Um, I would say I'll give my review real quick on this. Sound good? Please, please do. Uh, two quick thoughts. One is I did not like that uh, when Patrick, quote unquote, dies, walks into the light with Barbara, who is his uh, vehicle, because I feel like. 
everything that Patrick has fought for or felt him walking with his ex-wife is like walking to light of heteronormalcy. And that's ridiculous. And that does not make sense to me at all. Yeah. Um, very frustrating about that. Barbara, would see, Barbara honestly does not make any sense in this whole s- season, <laughs> to be frank. Um, and then the other thing I think though, is that um, I, I like Kathy, uh, uh, Bar- um, Patty Lupone as a character, but also she also like she shows up now, and it just does not make sense of like what her role was. There's a few people that are just cast in this in these roles that just don't facilitate the story into a, a place where it makes sense. So, uh, but I do like that we're showing in this season that uh, HIV and AIDS. I can't believe this story is even about this at this point it was supposed to be a serial killer <laughs> but here we are i i do appreciate that they talk about how it's non-discriminatory it literally happens to bad people and really good people and and people in in the nuanced gray area that are trying to be good but we're bad and trying to figure it out and also how frustrating it is for the love loved ones of the people who are with that so so I, but that being said, this whole episode t- to me just was, are we really just doing a full epilogue like on this in the same um, filter of uh, a dream, ethereal dream? So I, I honestly, I really didn't like it. So I, I gave this th- three out of five Mai Tais. What do you give it? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, I think, first of all, you make a really great point about Barbara. I mean, I feel like Barbara didn't make any sense as kind of being his um, guide at this point in time, because in a lot of ways, Barbara, to your point, represented a very dark time in his life when he couldn't be himself. So for her to be the one that kind of facilitates his journey into, you know, the afterlife um, and, and kind of be like in that white dress and everything like that, it just, it felt, it felt against message i mean you know it just felt dissonant and then the other thing i'll say too is like also totally get your point about you know hiv being able to um you know it being indiscriminatory and um being impacting everybody but you know um i was talking with amy about this on facebook because we watched the episode and we were making you know i was thinking about the fact that our lady J, who wrote and directed this episode was a big writer on pose and pose was another show that very much you know um directly addressed the hiv epidemic in the 80s in new york city too but through a a more aggressively political tone right i mean i'll i'll be the first bit i actually did not i have not yet watched pose it's been on my list for a while and so i'm ashamed of that but i know how great it is and i've heard a lot about the show and i know for instance that the show portrayed you know, the, you know, the die-in at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. And there was a lot more representation imposed about the different communities that were impacted by HIV. And it felt, it's interesting that, you know, not only Ryan Murphy, but Our Lady J in particular decided to kind of, I don't know, revisit the exact same Hmm. time period. But like, I don't know, from the white man's perspective, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I don't, I'm sure that wasn't like what the, the theory was of how the season was going to play out, but um, you know, does it resonate? I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, um, there was parts that certainly, I, I, I certainly Sam's, I didn't, I will say, I, I can say with almost certainty that I don't feel like Sam's epilogue paid off and, or made sense. I didn't like it at all. Um, Patrick's, I appreciated the in-between moments with him and Gino. Um, I really disliked the Barbara piece, but the scene with his, his dad, I thought had some power to it. So overall, I mean, I'm really struggling. You get, what did you give it? 3.25? Three. Three. I, I'm debating between a 2.75 and a three. And I'm going to give it a 2.75. Ooh, not good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think that puts us at 5.75. Yeah. Um, Rough. This is, you know. We'll we'll talk about all this. I, I don't want to go too deep into things before we get to the the actual yeah. end of the season and kind of looking back on the season as a whole. But before we do, um, I want to pause for a moment and let anybody who has not yet watched Requiem 1981-1987 Part 2, you can go ahead and pause here because we're about to move into the last and final episode of American Horror Story NYC. Yes. So let's... Chris, I'm going to have you go ahead and take us through the cold open in three, two, one. Take it away. Okay, so we are with Adam now, uh, and he's in a suit, and he is showing up to a crime scene, and there's a body uh, on the ground, uh, or a body that they're pulling out. Wait, I can't remember. Was there a body on the ground? No, there was a body there. You're thinking of when the Gino first and Patrick. One. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, in sorry. The past oh, episode. Mm-hmm. So what happens? Okay, it does. It does look very similar. Like they almost yeah. could have used the exact same set setup. They, they probably did. <laughs> uh, the body's coming out of apartment six B, which is actually where uh, Hannah Wells uh, lived. So he says, uh, "Can I?" He gets into the apartment. Essentially, he talks to the cop. He's like, "I was a friend." Uh, I know her. Can I get in? And he gets in and he goes in there. It's Hannah's room. And um, I wrote EW gives me a call in the morning. Oh, the, the, the cop there is, you know, like, all right, like you can take your time, like, you know, do what you need to do. But uh, here's my card. Uh, We'll take your statement in the morning. Like the cop is a dick. Like after he says, like, I was the father of her baby. Like, that's pretty messed up. It's Mm -hmm. horrible. Yeah, not a lot of uh, empathy there. That's for sure. Definitely not. I I think she was pregnant. That's, uh, you know, that's devastating. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And then so Adam's kind of inspecting around and he finds a tape recorder and they're there's also like nothing scary anymore in this show. It's, It's just like adam inspecting but here we are and uh he hits play and her recording is talking about the deer and adam kind of breaks down not necessarily of what she's saying but because he hears her voice i think but also do you remember what she was saying she was talking about deer and ticks again wasn't she yeah and then we have big daddy like looming in the background over adam and then we cut and then we cut to the credits Right. Um, yeah, this, I mean, yeah, this scene took place back in 1981. So this is, you know, we're jumping timelines a little bit here in 
last episode and this episode. But this episode is effectively, you know, supposed to take place right after the events in the Fire Island episode took place, right after Theo's funeral. In fact, I think we're supposed to probably think, I don't know, that maybe... Um, Does Adam even know that she's dead? I think, I don't know if Adam came straight from Theo's funeral and that's why he was wearing the suit, I, you know. Oh I, yeah, I, that's a good point. I was curious why he was wearing the suit, so that, that makes sense. Yeah, God, so that Adam's having a bad day. Uh, really, I mean, tell me about it. Really terrible day. So Adam, Charlie Carver, wrote this episode in combination with Ned Martell, who'd written a number of episodes already this season. It was directed by Jennifer Lynch, who did two other episodes this season. Um, I'll point out I, that, that uh, generally Ryan Murphy and Brad Fouch are often write the finales on a lot of these shows i believe it's true but, yeah but not not true. this time so here we go continue Sorry. <laughs> it's not this t- not this time no many koto either um but yeah uh jennifer lynch i will say i think has did i mean is a terrific director um, yes absolutely I, she did I don't th- a great job i don't think she would have done the vaseline on the on the camera for the entire episode yeah know? yeah no there was I, some yeah. moments here but it was done for effect yes yeah yeah but we stick with adam going into the kind of meat of the episode he's listening to all of hannah's recordings about the virus you know we listen to her also like i'm theoretically right around when she dies and to me it sounded like what we were hearing was her theoretically getting attacked by big daddy like we hear table is that what you thought we were listening to as well we hear like her kind of choking after she's coughing and we hear like tables being flipped over and stuff like that the idea that like she when was murdered. He took her. She was murdered by Big Daddy, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Adam like thinks too. Strangled. Right. Um, and Adam tries to take evidence to the coroner to basically have an autopsy, maybe, or get a little bit more information at least about what was found in her death report. And we learn that at the same time, um, the coroner reveals that Theo, um, also had. Uh, pneumocyte, uh, pneumocystis pneumonia, which was the same thing that Sam had. And we also learn about um, how Theo, we learn more details about how Theo died, which is that when the way he was tied up deprived him of oxygen, plus the fact that he was on quaaludes prevented him from having oxygen. And so it really was, I mean, what this basically says to us is it really was Sam who effectively killed him because Sam was the one who put him in that position to and drugged him mm-hmm. to not get any oxygen so it kind of makes the happy uh, happy ending for sam from last episode like feel even more uh, um wrong but yep anyway then we hear a a different tape of hannah wells speculating that she got hiv from adam when she turkey basted his semen into her to impregnate herself and so (laughs) that's all this background of the idea that Sorry. Can, yeah. yeah, it's just continue. Sorry. Adam. As you say, all I was going to say is that's how we, that's how Adam gets the idea that it's, a, it's, it's, you know, passed through sex. Yeah. Um, and feeling guilt, we kind of have some scenes interspersed here where he gets very, very drunk, seemingly feeling guilty, uh, I would say. Um, he goes to a doctor who takes samples of his um, sarcomas, I think, or I don't know if those are called sarcomas or if overall it's the disease itself is just called Kaposi's sarcoma. But anyway, that's what those those kind of spots are. And, um, you know, he tries to convince the doctor to prepare for this oncoming wave of people who are getting this illness, but the doctor totally writes him off as, as everybody has. 
Uh, and continuing to listen to Dr. Wells, you know, we hear her say that deer are not really the origin. It's actually the ticks. And maybe Fran was right about weaponizing the ticks, which I will say, this is a very important point. This is the only mention of Fran that we get in this episode or the last episode. Fran and her friends, effectively the lesbian cohort, are completely written off um, in terms of how their storylines end here. And we know that they had HIV too. So that was, a, I don't know, that that felt wrong. Absolutely ridiculous. I I, if you're if you're not reading between the lines at this point, these last few episodes were not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it seems like Wells doesn't know what to make of this information. But meanwhile, what Adam does is he try he creates these use of condom flyers because at least what he does know is that it's a sexually trans you know sexually transmitted virus. Um, he goes to visit Kathy at the Neptune Baths. Uh, and we learn that she is retiring effectively because he tries to get her to pass out flyers. And she's like, I, there's no reason to pass them out because I'm done. It's the end of an era. Um, you know, she's been sensing something bad's been coming for a long time. Um, I don't know. This just feels more than anything like a way to say bye to Kathy. Nothing. I don't know that it really yeah. addresses the storyline. She only says way. like, you know, stop. You know, I know you're fixated so much on death, but don't forget to live your own life. He's dying. Uh, awful hard to do when everyone around him is is dying plus himself. Yeah. So I felt like that was like you know, she at least got a goodbye, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. Um. He returns to the the ominous subway where over you know this is a little bit on the nose but over a poster that's a black plague exhibit at the Met someone has spray painted Daddy on it. So I, you know, I feel like if we if we weren't certain already about our big daddy metaphor, we certainly are now. And then that creepy subway rider who you really didn't like from the previous episodes is back. Like, I tell him like I told you so or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Eh. Uh, fast forward in time, back to nineteen or not back to forward in time to nineteen eighty seven. Where Gino just is kind of existing with Big Daddy lingering behind him. Um, he picks up a prescription, presumably for some kind of HIV medication, maybe yeah. CT or something like that, uh, and continues to live his life. He goes to Patrick's funeral, theoretically paid for with that insurance money. Um, he has this moment where he's like really pissed the casket's closed and he opens it up to see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That the that, eyebrows. That Patrick's wearing makeup, basically. Uh, but it's all in his head. I don't. I didn't really understand what was, what this was supposed to symbolize. I didn't either. It was so like you, when you think about someone done with makeup, like super, like like strong brows and or painted on brows and makeup. I mean, I would assume it would be more so like how people would think of like gay men or something like that back then I, I might be completely off on this but like oh like effeminate like makeup and or then it's also you walk into the world of um drag and is it just like accentuating different makeup features uh, i'm not sure um what they were what, what the intention was behind it but it definitely was not like reflective of who patrick presented himself as if that makes sense. Right, right. And, you know, Gina was... And Gina's not happy with that. Yeah, but we quickly realized it was all in his 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 mind anyway. Right. Um, Adam kind of shakes him out of his, you know, delusion. Yeah. And Gina's about to speak at the funeral when he, he again has visions of Big Daddy 
the congregation like all rises at once and we hear and the, the noise him. at this point is something yeah and faces him and the noise is like something akin to like morse code or something like that uh and we kind of have this weird oh i thought i thought it was like a heart rate monitor oh okay that makes more sense i was like in my mind like is that morris code um but we jump to a cemetery where we see big daddy just digging graves as like body after body falls in there this sequence skeleton masks like that was jennifer lynch directing that like that like the bodies just falling into the into the grave was i thought great went on a little too long it, I was that's what I was gonna say. The scene went a little long. It was yeah. creepy. The, the initial one was great because it was so it's it was such a symbol or it's such a uh uh um uh imagery of really what was happening in the world at that time. Well right, happening, right. And I took I took that to mean like with the with the masks, I took that to mean like these kind of like faceless, nameless yeah people who like yeah, you know, get lost to history because they're not investigated by the police and they're not covered yeah. by you know the mainstream newspapers and the doctors won't treat them and stuff like that that these people are dying and no one is like paying attention to who they are they're just lost souls to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and i think that's what kind of that's symbolizing there um and we keep progressing in time as gino kind of continues to survive you know we move on in 1988 where he's at some kind of protest where there's like people carrying signs about finding a cure for hiv yeah yep um and then it's like flashes back to patrick and then if you know he's in the native office where big daddy's just mowing down people with machine guns it's kind of it jumps all over the place a little bit um and i obviously to symbolize that just like big daddy's like having a heyday with his massacres and stuff like that um we move on to 1989 where gino's getting a mai tai and mr whiteley sits down with him so we get to see mr whiteley again uh but then big daddy slits his throat he uh then gino gets another mai tai from a young man they go back to his apartment but as Gino has a coughing fit, uh, Big Daddy just dumps a giant bucket of blood on this young guy and he disappears. So Gino's alone again. Uh, you know, Gino meets another guy at the bar and then Big Daddy slaughters him as well, uh, as well as a bunch of other people at the bar. Big Daddy's and then the entire everywhere. bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, obviously we're really kind of um, hammering home the, the message here about how HIV is just ravaging yeah. the community at this point in time jumped to 1990 um there's a bunch of men in hospital gowns at the native gino's just looking like a zombie at this point um he's making a paste to put on his his skin lesions uh and he's a much older man now you know he attends another funeral and there's another mass grave and then we're in 1991 a sickly gino gets you know he's at this bar again and like it's, it has a vision of the hospital patients there with them he's on this walker everyone he passes on the street is wearing a mask uh, and and as he dies in his bed, Big Daddy looks on. Um, and as he passes, he sees a, a vision of Patrick kind of reaching out to him, which is apparently, you know, uh, a version of his kind of. Yeah, he does. But he also like doesn't really like they don't connect. He kind of like turn. He doesn't turn away, but it it was just it was not a welcome, sweetheart. I've missed you type yeah pat yeah sam ends up getting a happier ending than gino does in this season which seems totally unjustified um and the episode ends kind of quietly with adam attending gino's funeral also looking like he hasn't like he hasn't aged a day uh by the way oh yeah at least that's how i took it and yeah poor adam is is the only one left standing and that's and for now because we know that he also has 
big daddy looming over him because he we know he has yeah. hiv also Oof. yeah yeah exactly. but then it ends like it, then it, it, it ends it, it ends it ends very quietly it it certainly does we um, just spent two episodes going through all these deaths of these people and gino's death is the end but then we don't have any we don't have any idea of like there's no message of what happens for the future of the character of of Adam. We don't know what happened to Fran. We don't know what happened to Kathy. Uh, and it's that's very frustrating to me because if you're gonna end, if you're gonna go through two episodes of the deaths of three major characters, what's the message you're sending at the end of this to what happens? For the other people you have to have like this, these two episodes sorry i'm going into my review already these two episodes obviously felt like an epilogue very long epilogue but it needs to what's the message you're trying to send to the audience with the story you've told i don't know if that is at the i don't know if that is after these two episodes would what, what do you think are you do you want to give it a my ties yet, or do you want me to give mine first? Uh, give yours first. Give yours first, because I'm trying, still trying to figure it out. I wrote mine what I think I I have, but I, I would love to hear your perspective. Yeah, um, I, I think I said this back when we were reviewing Fire Island, maybe. Um, but I think this season, in retrospect, I still believe it would have been way more effective if Big Daddy had been a real serial killer and not a metaphor as a serial killer. I wish they treated him as a real serial killer that was out there killing people in all these horrible and innovative ways. And they're trying, like, as if he was a real person and didn't have these weird rules about sometimes being a physical being and sometimes not being. And that you know, through that, he was a metaphor for HIV. That could have been, that could have worked fine. And then we would have maintained the kind of serial killer tension that we totally lost after uh, Mr. Whiteley died. Um, you know, I, I think he, I think he died prematurely. I think we spent way too many episodes with, you know, Big Daddy either just like creepily observing behind people or, a couple instances where he just like barrels into the house. Do you, did you ever play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like arcade game? Do you remember Absolutely. the character? That, you remember the character that would just like barrel in, like without a shirt, just like yes. barrel in and smash people. Yep. That's like how I envision uh, Big Daddy basically. Yeah. Like by the end, there was Big Daddy was like maybe kind of scary at the beginning, but totally to me, totally lost his scariness once we kind of knew that he like was not a real thing. Um. And in some ways, kind of sucked the tension out of how that character was was uh, being there. And then, yeah, I, I think Sam's story. I mean, and I, this is, I, I guess, I need to focus my reviews specifically on this episode. So I'll say that um, it was just tragic, right? It was is heartbreaking and it was tragic. Gino's story is so sad. Um, you know, Adam is is alone in the end. And no one listens to. Him. I mean, I get the message. It's it's sending. I think there was some good directorial moments. To your point, that Jennifer Lynch definitely inserted in here. But it was just a sad, heartbreaking story. I mean, maybe that's all they wanted to go for. Is you just come away from this like realizing what a sad and heartbreaking and tragic time period that was. And I guess if that was the goal, they were effective. 
Um, I don't know that it was an effective story, but it was effective in terms of like, we got the message conveying a vibe. Yeah. So if I'm thinking back about what, well, and then I was also very bothered that we like had a bunch of characters whose stories kind of were just left on the table. Um, so I don't know. I, I I debate whether or not I give this. I'm giving this episode an even lower score. I'm just going to give it the same. I think it's also a two point seven five for me. I think it's two two point seven five in a row. How about you? Um, I, you know, I think because I watched them back to back, like we both did. Um, it was frustrating. I did not need a eulogy for certain bad people that had wonderful sam wonderful endings i think there needed so okay i have my notes i needed to see some comeuppance for certain characters including um particular sam um i wanted to know what the hell happened to henry who had a really weird bizarre interesting unrequited love two episodes ago for Gino and then Henry just appears as a figment for people passing on to for Sam passing on to uh, whatever afterlife he's going to should be hell but probably not because it was peaceful for him Um, some obscure things that I've noticed for that we did not ever explore was that Theo had like a Jamaican grandmother or something that had some like magic or whatever that he talked about like episode two or three never never visited that again um uh-huh. the the Molotov cocktail that was thrown into the um the bar the yeah. bar by Big Daddy who apparently is just still a this like figment that represents or this metaphor that represents HIV but but that then and locked everyone in there like i guess is that more of a metaphor like like people literally like got hurt in that as opposed to what big daddy was actually doing which was just looming over people who had hiv yeah Hmm. um what happened to henry what happened to henry i don't know i miss him i want to know what happened to him uh, where the f is Fran? <laughs> like and her and her friends Kiki and her friends and every... who also had HIV exactly as you mentioned earlier. And then you know to be honest, the frustrating part about this season, I we loved most of this. I loved most of this. I am so frustrated that that HIV was such a literal thing that happened, and with hannah wells and everything it was just like you can do this in a metaphorical way that's like super cool that we get to like you know blog about or like talk about and go on reddit about and tweet about but that it was literally literal big daddy was like just it was just fucking aids like i don't like, it, i don't know it, 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 yeah if it was if it would have been a lot more fun to unpack if it had been yeah. if it had been a real serial killer and then we were you know speculating as to the connection uh well so where does that end you from a mai tai standpoint 2.5 i'm sticking with what i wrote when i right after the episode ended 2.5 mai tais 
I think that's fair. And that's uh, awful. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and I and love most I think of the I'm, season. I, I enjoyed a lot of the season too. I, it started off quite strong. I feel like it just ended on a low point that just like yeah, left you feel it. You know, it's it's rough. Um, well, as always, we at the end yeah. of a season we we go and and talk about the season as a whole. So I want to start picking um, or having you pick some of you know your answers to our typical run of the mill um, end of season questions. Starting with who's your MVP for the season? Okay, I have a tie. It is Joe Montello and uh, Jeff Hiller, 100%. (laughs) Both of them were fantastic. Jeff Hiller was so good. And obviously, I've talked about how much I liked him in um, Somebody Somewhere on HBO. Everyone should watch that. He's he's like really good at that. Very different character. But also, Joe Montello was fantastic, uh, even though his character made a bunch of different choices. Those two people... My MVPs, tied MV, co MVPs. What about you? I don't have co MVPs. I took a different approach. I am giving Joe Mantello MVP because I feel like he, in a lot of ways, really carried the season. Um, and you know, he navigated what we felt were some character consistencies. Uh, I think you're better than debatable, I am. but but I, I think he, I think he was great. Um, and I would love to see him again in future. I mean. I think oh, yeah. he's 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 an award-winning actor, in my opinion. After he's seen him he, he's so better good. than what he's what what he's doing right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I was and and I will go ahead and follow up. And I was going to give Jeff Hiller best newcomer. Newcomer. I felt like, I, I felt like Jeff Hiller was a was stellar, and I would love to see him in future things as well. Um, I think he has the capacity to play some really fun and interesting roles go ongoing. So I'd love yes. to see how those would manifest. Uh, who's your best newcomer? God, God you can't say, you're gonna say those two again i mean how, how can you not it's fine i know that that's i i like what you did i'm gonna i'm gonna change my story and i'm gonna say best mvp is joe montello best newcomer jeff hiller because mm-hmm. it's like it's like getting like defensive player of the year but also offensive player of the year and maybe you're both you're good at both but like Offensive player of the year just like carried a lot more of the story as Gino did, but also, you know, defensive player of the year is really good. So, you know, if you're if you're a two way player, then you like that would be Jeff Hiller because he was in the entire series, but he did such a good job. So, yeah, I, I'm going with that. I think that's fair. Um, how about biggest disappointment? Ugh. You answer. You answer this first. This is a tough one, um, and I was, you know, thinking about this for a bit. And I, there's two that I'm debating between for me. Mm-hmm. Um, one was Zachary Quinto potentially, but I don't really. It's hard because I feel like just Sam was just a gross character, and I don't feel like Zachary Quinto really did a bad job with him. Um, but uh, it's like. I don't know. Sam like had a couple moments where he was like funny and you appreciated him, but then he just ends as such a just horrible, gross character in the last four episodes that, or at least the last three that it's very, it was, you know, we've already talked about how flat his like redemption felt in the end. Um, but look, he was, he was terrific at being that character. So that's why I can't feel like I can yeah. really say that he was biggest it's, disappointment. It's a writing for his character. Cause he did, I think great job. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. And then the other one that's like, so I would say that's like a, kind of an honorable mention. I would say another honorable mention for this for me was a little bit Russell Tovey, only because I oh. love Russell Tovey. And, and I think he's incredible, excuse me, incredible in everything I've seen. And I just kind of like, especially toward the end, I just felt like Patrick as a character was less compelling to me. Um there were supposed to be like secrets that were revealed. Like Barbara kept being like, Oh, what about this? What about this? But nothing yes. came out of it. it yeah. Was... And it, yeah. So I guess if I say he's a disappointment, it's only in the sense that like I expected like to really I expected to choose him for MVP and I didn't end up having to get him to do that. So that's that's the only reason good, that he but... was a runner-up. And my overall biggest disappointment was Leslie Grossman because I just feel like, and it's hard to separate her from Barbara because Barbara was the character she was given, but Barbara was just such a nothing, like should have, should have been something that was mentioned as a side conversation and not been an ongoing character in the story whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so that was a frustration for me. So now you tell me your biggest disappointment. My biggest disappointment was, I think we shouldn't have, and I know this how this is how the industry works, but like truly having like different writers for every episode, um, it like we saw this like characters make different choices or change that don't match who they were last episode, and that's very frustrating and does not make sense. We talked about this particularly with Gino. Um, that's frustration. Um, and also writing in characters that are unnecessary. I I get that we wanted, or that we, <laughs> this is me as an editor. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we think. Um, I get that the story that ultimately was wanted to be told, I guess, was the story about HIV and how frustrating and devastating it was for the queer community. Horrible. Um to tell the serial killer story and then finish it with people dying of HIV and AIDS. I don't, I just don't know if that works as like a season of a story. I, it, it just didn't like holistically work as something I like, I understand in certain ways, like what things are going for, like, let's tell the story about a few characters and then when you find out more about a like a side character and then they become a main character in the next episode it's really freaking cool like because you like them and you get to know them or you hate them and you get to know more about them it just didn't really happen i'm also like super like into white lotus like the first season and into the new season right now too and i think that's done really well and i'm comparing it to that a little bit but so i'm kind of I don't know. I would just say I love all the writers individually, but like I just feel like collectively it never lands and makes a cohesive, coherent story. And that's really frustrating because the first six episodes of the season were super dope. I loved how noir it was. It was very yeah. different. And I had we, lo- we lost the noir. And that I agree with you 100%. The, the noir was very fun. And it felt like that like fell different. off. Yeah. And that was a bummer. Uh, also, I mean, the other thing I'll say, too, is I didn't talk about Hannah Wells. But I felt like Hannah Wells was a character that was unnecessary. Um, we never pay off on the, I mean, the the theory of like whether or not the government was responsible for you know, I know. ticks and HIV. It's like that was hinted at, but it was just kind of left open ended in a way that nothing. Like, yeah, it was disappointing too. Um, 
I'm going to give um, an additional word I just kind of thought up a minute ago, and it's going to, I'm going to call this award the most growth. And this goes to somebody who has lived in, in the American Horror Story universe before. Um, so returning uh, actor or actress who I feel like did a good job of like, I don't know, be, I, I appreciated where they grew into as a character versus the things they played in the past. And for me, that's Isaac Powell. I think that Theo um, was a character I actually really came to like and um, thought that Isaac Powell did a great job with him um, and made him like very kind of a sweet and like you kind of believed his his redemption story. Bring him and, back. And I, He's great. I thought, he did, I thought he did a terrific job there. So I wanted to give him props there. Do you have any other... Most, yeah like awards award, either different awards or a, a most growth you would assign i would say also uh charlie carver i think he's great i his character was frustrating here and there a bit but i think he's really good and has some good ideas and i liked you know some of the episodes he wrote probably weren't or co-wrote or whatever where um you know they were fine they were good but um i i'm excited to see what he's gonna do because he sold me on the Adam character, even though his character was frustrating at times. Um, I unnecess- unnecessary characters to me would be uh, Hannah Wells. I I love Billy Lord, but I don't know. That was just kind of like maybe to make her a character. And then uh, Patty Lupone, like she's dope AF, obviously, but. I don't know that not really necessary as a character and Barbara. Well, Barbara, 100%. I love Lizzie Grossman, but like that character was just completely unnecessary to be as significant as she was. Yeah. And we, Oh, oh, we didn't even comment though on um, Mac Marjara, uh, Cal Penn in the, the Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He fell off too. I, yeah. it, like i mean I, I know a lot of people have been talking about this this, this is like the gayest uh american horror story ever <laughs> and the american horror story is obviously like very like gay <laughs> like pro-gay and gay but this is like the most gay um american horror story i think has ever been uh and i love that and i applaud i applaud it for that uh, uh it's awesome before we but... go into ranking oh go ahead <laughs> But, like, you know, we can tell a story better. Yeah. Uh, any other awards or questions before we move into our, our end of season rankings? Nope. Let's do it. All right. Do you know? Do you know how you what you have things lining up? Okay. All right. So, I'm looking at my actual rankings. Because Josh is the shit and has rank and has put our rankings in order. Um, I'm looking at it. So my rankings, based on not my scores, but actually how I just say it, are Todd. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have Asylum, Murder House, Roanoke, 1984, Coven. Hotel, Cult, Double Feature, Freak Show, and then Apocalypse. Is that correct? That is correct, sir. Okay, so I'm going to put... I hate this because, like, 
this season in the beginning for the first again like six episodes i was like yeah this is this is up and up this is like my jam especially when fire island happened i was like oh my god if a murder like mystery thing happens on fire island in the last few episodes that would be super tight but it didn't happen so it's not going to be as high as i wanted it to be so i'm gonna say my new rankings will be and a few of my things might change. I'm going to say Asylum, Murder House, Roanoke. I hate that we have to I hate that we have to put double feature together. I wish we could separate it. Cuz I would if I could separate them then um what was Red it called? Tide. Red Tide would be right there, but it's not. So I'm going to go 1984, Coven, NYC, Hotel, Colt, Double Feature, Freak Show, Apocalypse. So you put it right before hotel right so that becomes your number six yes correct <clears throat> what do you think it's it, uh... so yeah, tyler's are was, I'm, uh... tyler's are murder house asylum roanoke double feature coven hotel freak show 1984 apocalypse and then cult so yeah, you and I really are. We start switching things up around our ranking number four. We're pretty consistent one through three. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a similar thing to double feature in the sense that, like, you know, up until I would say probably, but up until Bad Fortune is where things kind of took a turn. I think the episode after Bad Fortune we kind of liked. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I I think that so it's like half the season was really strong. I think that I am. I'm going to place this. I'm going to place it after hotel for me. So it's going to be number seven between hotel and freak show. That's NYC for me. So my order would be Murder House Asylum, Roanoke Double Feature, Coven Hotel, NYC Freak Show, 1984 Apocalypse Cult. Mm. So it's it's middling. It ends up being a pretty middling season, unfortunately, which is too bad because it really did feel like it had strong potential. Um, There's so many, you know, actors from this season I would love to see come back um, and do different things. And it was it was. A bummer to me that we lost the noir feel and that we couldn't make, you know, the HIV epidemic be, you know, manifest as a real serial killer to just make it feel different um, yeah. and less, uh, less literal to your point. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like, oh, are we doing a American crime story show where we're talking about in a horrible way, but like talking about yeah. a real historical thing. That's not what this show is supposed to be. This show is supposed to be a little more, you know, and that's what the best horror stories are. Like the best horror movies are like these metaphorical 
stories about horror that are actually talking about things like, you know, uh, gayness or um, or uh, a disease or grief or, you know, it's not it's not literally like talking about a disease that or a, a, an infection or a disease that's happening. You know, it's like. Right. It's sub- they're more subtle. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, we started off that way and, and kind of and veered off. Um, this is sad. This so that's is the end. Yeah. This yeah. is the end. It went by, it went by so fast, uh, which is, is a bummer because this is such a fun time to have with everybody. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I don't remember if stories got renewed for next season. Um, I don't know. I mean, we'll be back in one form or another soon enough. But up until then, I hope everyone has a really terrific holiday season, uh, a terrific and safe holiday season. We appreciate you kind of uh, accompanying us on the ride up until now and beyond. And to that end, if you have thoughts, theories, questions on this season, uh, we'd love to continue to interact. You can do so with us via uh, email at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory and on YouTube, uh, This American Horror Story Podcast. Chris, where can people find you between now and um, whenever, whatever's next? I'll be on Instagram at Chris Husek, Chris with the K. What about you, Tyler? I'm there too, uh, at TJMoss11. Once again, everyone, thank you so much. Uh, cheers, and until next time, happy hauntings.